We're continuing in our study of the book of Acts, and you know, we, we, we like to, I like to introduce this, I think John does too, this, the title, because it's, that, it's not just the title of this series, it's really like what should always be what we want as a church, that we are becoming his church. There's a sense that we're, we're never going to fully be there. It's a journey that we're, we're on together, and every time God brings in new people and circumstances changes, it's an opportunity to, 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 to incorporate more people and to become His church with, with different people. That's great. And, and, and I love to be able to go back here and, and look at how God worked 2,000 years ago, and that 2,000 years later and in the intervening years, Whenever a church was truly his church, he worked the same way. Not exactly the same circumstances, not exactly the same expressions, but it was the same way, his church. And we've talked about those things. And I think it's good to remind ourselves as we kind of move into this, this next section here in this, in this chapter. But his church from the very beginning was obedient to his word. They knew his word. My, my, I'm not angry at churches that are letting go of the Bible or churches that want to do cut and paste and pull things out of the Bible. I'm not angry for, for, at them. I'm sad. I'm sad. They have had the truth given to them. Many of them have received it, and now they want to take out the parts that they don't think fit anymore, that they might find uncomfortable. Or maybe they just want to abandon it altogether. No, his church is firmly rooted in his word. And the more we know his word, the more we're obedient to his word. But his church is also a church where God's love is abundant. It's not the angry, legalistic Protestantism that sometimes gets put out there. No. This church should, his church should be known where his love abounds. It doesn't mean it's like, hey, it's anything goes, we're, you know, we, we no longer think about sin. If we're thinking about God's word and we're holding to his word, sin is in his word. But more so in his word, is that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are transformed to be able to love in ways we could never love before. We've seen the Spirit at work in, in the church. And, you know, it's something that I think we, we, we miss in this kind of, like, world that's kind of moved more and more away from any sense of the supernatural. And people who know me know that I'm not somebody who thinks everything that happens is, you know, there's, there's you know, miracles every, every moment, every day in that supernatural sense. But I think we've gotten so far from that, that that we no longer even look at natural things and think that God is working through those things. We don't look back over, you know, our own lives and see God at work. We're here because we're here. That's how we ended up here. And I, you know, I think that's one of the things that, 
That's a mark of his church. We're constantly looking for God at work. We want to see. We want to participate. And Paul is such a great example. He's such a great example. And when we get to Acts chapter 19, Paul's about to go back to a city he had kind of done a, just a quick, you know, kind of flyover, stayed in the airport for a little while and then moved on. And now he's coming back and he's going to stay. And so in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, it says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. I've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. The title of this sermon is When Jesus Gets Hold of a City. And we're going to kind of see this unfold over the, the next three weeks. That, that Ephesus... In, in some ways, is, is where Paul sees everything come together. Everything comes together. The, the, the church, the, the city, the response, it's amazing. It comes together, and people aren't just being attracted because someone's doing miracles, or they're being attracted because it's the newest thing, but they're, they're, they're really coming together as a church. And it has such a huge impact on the city, such a huge impact on the city, that eventually the city, the people in the city, especially the merchants, are going to have to make a choice. And unfortunately, they make the wrong choice. I think if, if Paul could, could retire somewhere, if he could have just stayed in one place, if he could have had the sense that God told him, okay, enough missionary, I've got some other missionaries, where do you want to, you know, minister? It's going to be Ephesus. Later on, we're going to read about this incredibly emotional scene when, when Paul knows he's leaving and, and he knows that, that he's never going to see them again. It's, it's all come together. But before Paul gets there, before Paul gets there, there seems to have been some people who had some understanding. They had some understanding. And maybe they considered themselves, you know, 
the, the followers of the, of, the, of the right way, the way, John the Baptist. Hard to say. Luke doesn't tell us very much. But they had some belief. And had that group, and it tells us that there were 12 of them, had that group been successful in a worldly sense, in other words, grew numerically and presented their gospel, then something would have happened that wouldn't have been good. And it's actually something that I think is happening more and more in our society today. That there's a lot of people out there who see a partial Christianity. And maybe they see it from Christians, maybe not. Maybe their understanding of Christianity is what they see on, in movies and, and television or read in books. Maybe their understanding of Christianity is what they see on the news. Maybe they don't have any understanding at all, but what they see predominantly is often a partial gospel. Or, as often is portrayed in, in, in especially the news media, is they see people who are claiming to follow the gospel, but they're not doing it for the right reasons. And I think that's caused this confusion in our society, that there are many people in our society who are confused about what Christianity is. And it's because the dominant image that they have is either churches and others who are only following part of the gospel, or they're claiming to follow the gospel, but they're doing so for the wrong reasons. And you might go, all right, what can we do about it? I'm glad you asked. What can we do about it? That's what we're going to talk about today. We've, we've summarized it before. We can devote ourselves to knowing the full gospel. We can devote ourselves to living the full gospel. And we can devote ourselves to sharing the full gospel. That the church has been given this, this job, and this wasn't a job that, that, that humans gave us. It's a job God gave us. He gave us the job of doing two things. One is to be the evidence of what happens when the gospel gets a hold of a group of people. We're the evidence. If someone wants to say, Prove to me that the gospel is true. We should all, with great confidence, say, come hang out with my church. Come hang out with my, you know, the, the, the members of my church. And you're going to experience something there you won't experience anywhere else in the world. We are the evidence. Too many churches have forgotten this. We think our job is the only the other part, which is proclaim. Say, communicate the gospel. Yes, that's part of our job. It is proclamation. But we're also the evidence. And I think the fact that so many churches have abandoned that, or they've just kind of lowered the, the importance of it, has allowed us to, to basically hold on to a full understanding of the gospel 
But when we live it out, we've diluted it so much that it doesn't look anything like we say we believe. We talk about love. We talk about unity. We talk about community. We talk about selflessness. We talk about surrender. We talk about sacrifice. But if we invited people to hang out with us, I'm not talking about coming on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning, this is what people's experience would be Sunday morning. I'll try to do it for you. This is what it is. You're not seeing me. You're not even seeing each other. You're seeing the backs of each other's heads the farther you sit in the back. Of course, if you sit in the front, you don't even see that. But I'm talking about the church in community. Hang out with my church. You'll see the evidence. The battlefield's been confused, but the plan hasn't changed. The job hasn't changed. The strategy hasn't changed. God hasn't abandoned it just because, oh, look, people are confused in America. It's the same. Be the church that knows the gospel, lives the gospel, shares the gospel. So here's Paul coming back to Ephesus. Remember, he had said, God willing, I'll be back. The brief time he was there, well, just people, he connect with people. He says, God willing, which kind of gives the indication that he wanted to go back, but he didn't know for sure. And he comes back. And we get the benefit of history to be able to look back and say, like, those were three amazing years. In fact, it extended even beyond three years, because even after Paul leaves, that church continues to be such a powerful church. But here's the question. How did it all begin? How did it all begin? And and that's the story we have here. Luke doesn't need to tell everybody how important the church at Ephesus was. All of his readers, they know it. What he's telling them is he's telling them the backstory. He's not telling them how the superhero is saving the world, but how the superhero became the superhero. The backstory. And it's so interesting that the beginning of this story is is Paul finding these disciples who don't understand. They only partly understand. And I think Luke is communicating to us through this story that none of this happens if this doesn't get fixed. Where does it all begin? If we're going to reach a city for Christ, It begins with churches who have received the full gospel. We have the full gospel. We're not just emphasizing the part of the gospel that's attractive to the the people who are lost. We're not trying to market Christianity. We have received the full gospel. doesn't mean we're perfect. By all means, if I were to say, you want to see the evidence? Come to my church. Now I'm going to warn you, we're not perfect. 
We're not perfect. But you're still going to see the evidence in our imperfections. You see, we have three stories that are going to occur in a row. Unfortunately, when the Bible started, when people started sticking chapters and verses, it kind of broke these stories up, so we miss some of the emphasis from these stories. But we had just read about Apollos, who, had, who, who needed some further teaching, and then we read about this group. But there's a, there's a difference. Apollos is never after he hears, it's never said that Apollos gets baptized. Luke presents him as someone who, who understands and is even able to articulate, but he, he really didn't know. There were some key things he didn't know, and unfortunately, Luke doesn't tell us all what those key things are. But these 12, it wasn't a lack of understanding they just didn't know. And so Paul tells them, and just know Luke is summarizing. It's not like Paul says one sentence and everybody goes, oh, lights on. No, there was obviously teaching and discussion that went along. But also the way Luke tells us the story tells us that these guys were ready. As soon as they heard, as soon as they understood, they received if evangelism was that easy, we'd all do it. If, if you said, God, lead me to someone today who, as soon as I start talking, will 100% accept and receive immediately without asking me any hard questions or, you know, making me feel bad or anything, we would all evangelize. If we had a group of 12 people, then as soon as you say it, yes. We'd all evangelize. Not always that easy, but here with these guys, it was. And, and what, what did they know? The only thing they seemed to know was, was repentance. John the Baptist had some like, major themes. We don't have any writings from John the Baptist. We don't know everything that he taught other than what's kind of in the New Testament. But one of the things he taught was repentance. And when he talked about repentance, he was talking about it from the Hebrew Scripture standpoint. So he's talking about sin. He's talking about law. But he's talking about repentance. And that's all they knew. And so they, for, from what we can tell, they were probably really good at this. Because what they had done is they had reduced righteousness to simply keeping God's law and when you mess up, be sure to repent. That's it. Unfortunately, again, that's not the full gospel. You see, any gospel that depends upon me having to keep doing something is not the gospel we find in Scripture. The gospel we find in Scripture is the gospel of grace. It's the gospel that admits up front, we as human beings on our own cannot possibly in any universe, in any reality, it's not one in 100 billion, 100 trillion, it's zero chance that we can earn righteousness. Cannot. 
any belief system, even if it calls itself Christian, that says otherwise. It's not the full gospel. In fact, it denies one of the most fundamental characteristics of the gospel. They understood that part. But from Paul's short statement that Luke summarizes here, what did they not understand? Well, what they didn't understand is they didn't understand the lordship of Jesus Christ. When we talk about discipleship, when we talk about like wanting to know his word, it's because we accept Jesus as Lord. And if we accept Jesus as Lord, then we want to know what he would have us do. And if we're going to know that, we need to know his word. They didn't know that. They might have known that John the Baptist was saying, a Messiah is coming, but they didn't know that the Messiah had already come and his name was Jesus. So, they didn't know the lordship of Jesus Christ. They didn't know, as you can see, that when it talks about when Paul lays his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them, they didn't know the transformation that was to come through the Holy Spirit. They didn't know that God knew that it was impossible for them to earn their righteousness, and so he made a way. And he made a way, and he gave the gift of the Holy Spirit. People get too caught up, I think, in saying like, oh, look, they're speaking in tongues and prophesying, and that's the only way that we can see the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I didn't do that, so, so I must not have the Holy Spirit. In the greater, larger teachings of Scripture, and we've talked about this before, the primary common to all believers, manifestation of the Holy Spirit is when you love in a way you could never have loved before. It is a supernatural love. It is a love for everyone. It is a love for strangers. It is a love for weird people. It's a love for normal people. It's a, it's, it's a love for your enemies. And as I'm fond of saying here, it's a love for your enemies while they're killing you. When you have that love, when you know that selfless, sacrificial, surrendering love, then you know you have the Holy Spirit, it is not from you. When you come to worship service not thinking simply, I hope I get something out of it. I hope they sing songs I like. I hope they sing songs I know. I hope the pastor tells some cool jokes. I hope I get at least one little kernel of truth. And you're ignoring the fact that what the reason God wants us together, whether it's on a Sunday morning or any other time, is that we would worship God together. 
that every Sunday morning we have an opportunity, and it's not that hard. Some people it's hard to get up on a Sunday morning, but for most of us it's not that hard to say, I'm going to give this one evidence. When all my non-Christian friends are sleeping in or planning to go to the beach or catching up on their studies or whatever else, I am going to be with God's people in his house, worshiping, learning. I'm not there because it's going to check it off as righteousness. I'm not there out of a sense of duty. I'm there because I'm so in love with God and I'm so in love with his people. Where else would I be? That's the evidence the world needs. And it's hard. It's hard. I'm going to tell you it's hard. I have thought about this, understood it for decades of my life. And I know even in my own life, it's hard. I was the weird kid who was forced to go to church, but was okay with it because I wanted to be there. My brothers, some of them, not so much. But I was okay. It's like, oh, you're going to force me to eat ice cream? Okay. Oh, I hate ice cream. I can't believe you're making me do it. Eating it, loving it, right? But it gets to this transformation by the Holy Spirit. Seeing in the love, the supernatural love expressed in the church. And the other thing they didn't fully understand, and Paul doesn't really explain it here, but if we're going to understand the full gospel, we have to understand it's not just about lordship, discipleship, transformation by the Holy Spirit, but it's that we are part of the kingdom. We're part of God's kingdom, that we are saved to serve. We are saved to be used. We're not saved just to be saved. We have a purpose in His kingdom. And these guys didn't understand it. But as soon as they understood it, they couldn't wait. They couldn't wait. They're so hungry. Here's the danger. The danger is an incomplete gospel leads to incomplete discipleship. And that leads to incomplete churches. And that leads to an incomplete witness. One of the reasons the world is so confused about what Christianity is is because so many churches and so many Christians have only embraced an incomplete gospel. It all begins there. And I'm not going to lie to you. The partial gospel is, is more attractive If we're going to preach a partial gospel, we can never really be his church. Oh, we may do some good things and we still might help bring people to Christ in some ways, but we'll never fully be his church. 
And I'll give you some of the popular incomplete gospels of the day. And by the way, I'm not telling people this to, to help, you know, to point fingers at anyone. I'm not going to name any specific people I know. If you think it in your head, I can't stop you. But, and I'm not saying that if you believe this now, that I'm putting you down. Instead, I'm trying to be like Paul and say, if this is what you believe, if you're only holding on to a partial gospel, listen to the full gospel. Come talk to me. Talk to Pastor John. We'll share with you the full gospel. Embrace it. You know, you have the Dr. Feelgood gospel, and that's the gospel that really Jesus came just to, to make me feel better. I got some... I go through some tough times. I'm, I'm hurting. I need a gospel that makes me feel better. You know, there's the my little gospel is kind of like the my little pony. It's like I have my, you know, it's, it's, it's my gospel. It's my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, it's all about me. And you might believe all the things about faith in Jesus Christ. But do you think that God is mostly concerned just about your individual life? That he's not thinking about how you now can be used as part of his church and part of his kingdom. Oh, you might go there, but that's, that's optional. There's people who have the when I die gospel. They, they only become Christians because they're only worried about when they die. Oh, they'll still try to be good or they might show up at church. But they're only really concerned about when they die. There's the Mr. Fix-It gospel. They, they, they think Christianity is just about fixing the problems in their lives. Family problems, emotional problems, financial problems. There's the do-it-yourself gospel. That's the gospel that says... Yeah, we got all these great Jesus words and salvation words, but, but really it's about me. It's about me doing it. And I'm going to prove my righteousness. I'm going to earn my righteousness. I will pray the prayer to accept Jesus because that's step one to me doing all the work. And then there's the gospel buffet. You know, I like, I like that part about love. Mm, patience, not so much. I like that part about, you know, peace and joy. Oh, sacrifice and suffering, not so much. I like that part about forgiveness. Mm, part about sin, it's too specific. Not so much. I like the general idea of Christianity. I like the fact that it seems to be talking about, you know, community and all of that. I like that, but huh, that cross, a little too bloody. I want to challenge you with action point because I want to be a church that from that all of us, that we have... We are, we've received the full gospel. We understand our full gospel. I want to challenge you. Take time this week to write out your understanding of the gospel. What is the gospel? 
What did Jesus do for you? And what is he doing for you? Why is he doing it? Maybe as I was reading these, you might have said like, oh, wait a minute. I thought what I had was right, but I see it on this list. Again, if you know already, talk to one of us. Because we don't want to, we're not there to judge you. If you don't get it, if you think like, but that's what I see in Scripture, come talk to us. And we can look at a, a bigger picture of Scripture. There's no one who's, you know, wants to help and teach that is there to, to judge and to hurt. I love what Paul did. You know, Paul's not like, what are you, a bunch of idiots? How did you miss this? No, he just explains the truth and they receive. The second point we see here is that reaching a city Reaching a city requires churches that remain faithful even when opposed. This is going to come out more later. This is just a little thing here. But Paul is going to the synagogue like he always does. But notice the language that Luke uses in verse 9. He says, when some became stubborn. Those of you who've been reading Acts, you know Paul, um, Luke uses terminology like many and some, and usually when he says many, he means the majority, and sometimes like, like a big majority. When he says some, he usually means just, just a few. And if he means some who are also influential, he'll mention that too, but here he just says some, which means there were a lot of others who were actually being receptive to what Paul was saying. But notice what Paul does. He says, some became stubborn. Some continued in unbelief. Some spoke evil of the way. And Paul says, it says Paul withdrew. He withdrew from them. He, he didn't go to the synagogue anymore. And instead, he took those who were, who were following Christ and they met somewhere else. It's interesting why does, why, does, why does Paul do that this way? In all the other cities, what would happen would be there would be this, this opposition, and then the opposition would get so big that it threatened a riot, and sometimes Paul got thrown into prison, and sometimes he was brought before the governor, and all these other things, or sometimes Paul just escaped the city. But here, he takes this very different approach. He just withdraws. And he goes to the Hall of Tyrannus. The, the belief is that, is that he's going to go to the Hall of Tyrannus and that he's, he's going to meet in the middle of the day. And that wasn't the best time to meet. That was usually the hottest part of the day. And in the hottest part of the day, what most people did in their culture was they took a nap. I like their culture. Um, they took a nap in the middle of the day because it was too hot to work outside. But they're not going to take a nap. It's not the best time. 
I don't know why Luke tells us the name of the hall, the person who owned it, Tyrannus, but it's not a great name. It means the tyrant. So they're going to a place that doesn't have a great name, and they're meeting at a time with it's not a great time, but it doesn't matter. They're not going to let opposition stop them. They're going to continue. They're going to find a way. John used the example of MacGyver, you know, last week. And those of you who don't know MacGyver, you can go watch some retro 80s TV and find out. Now, MacGyver always found a way, you know, usually involving duct tape, to save the day. He always put together things. He found a way. You see, what we're called to do is we're called to to be faithful to the full gospel. We're called to, to be faithful to knowing the full gospel, to living the full gospel, to sharing the full gospel. But when? Where? How? Those things can change. And they have changed. In 2,000 years, they have changed. We don't have our worship services at one of your houses. Things have changed. I don't make you all stand up while I sit down and teach. Things have changed. We're not speaking Greek or Aramaic. Things have changed. But the gospel doesn't change. The focus on discipleship doesn't change. The focus on on Knowing God's Word and living God's Word in community, that doesn't change. If for whatever reason we lost this building, we lost this campus, and then we just all just drifted away from each other, that would reveal the truth that we were never a church. We were just a group of people that met in the same place. But if this building and this campus was no longer ours and we're across the street at Petrie, we're at one of you guys' houses just crammed into the backyard. We're down at Kahala Beach Park or, or wherever, just all at the mall. That would prove it wasn't about this place. It was about what God had done to unite us. My action challenge to you is if you know, consider other ways to do what God has called us to do. If the door seems closed in a certain direction or society wants to close the door, are we thinking? Are we praying? Are we seeking after God? How else can we proclaim your name? in public schools? How else can we, can we help people in society, help the homeless, help those who are being abused in relationships? How else? Or are we just saying, oh, we cannot, we cannot. 
And then the last thing, it's just so funny, the way Luke does it, he just drops it in. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word. He just drops that in. Oh, by the way, what this group of 12, along with Paul, and then all the other people who started believing, what they did in two years was they reached all of Asia Minor. All of Asia Minor heard the gospel because of what happened at Ephesus in two years. They didn't have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. Two years, 12 men. Amazing. It doesn't say all of Asia Minor became Christian. It just said they all heard the word of the Lord. All the residents. You see, it wasn't about making the church at Ephesus a megachurch. If it became a megachurch, fine, but that wasn't the point. What churches need to be focused on is not building their numbers, but building their witness. And our witness is based on the evidence we can provide to the world that Jesus Christ has truly, profoundly transformed our lives in such a way that we are a community like no other. There is nowhere in this world that you can find a collection of weird, odd, strange people who all come together and they're like a family. I know you're thinking, I already have a family like that. It's my real one. Well, this one is even greater because you have to love them. It's such a powerful witness. It wasn't just that they had a plan to get the word in every house. They were faithful. The only reason I would ever want God to make this church just huge in numbers, the only reason is if it somehow was a sign that brought people here and when they got here, they found authentic Christian community. The only reason. When Eric was reading scripture, this is the problem with the numbers game. When Eric was reading scripture, he read a, f a phrase that I don't know if everybody picked up, but he said, the evil or the wicked sprout like grass. If it's a numbers game, God is losing and Satan is winning. Because there's far more wicked and evil people in this world than there are true believers. If it's just a numbers game. I used to joke around that my dad was the first megachurch pastor. And because we were in a, in, in, our church had about 150 people in it. But our town only had 600. Our church was 25% of the population. If we had 25% of Honolulu coming to our, this church, there'd be like 250,000 people. It's not about numbers. If it's about numbers, even if you take the largest church in Honolulu, it's not reaching 
it's not reaching 10%. It's reaching a fraction. It's about our witness. And our witness is not simply the words we say. Our witness is who we are together in Christ. We might not ever know the impact. I'm sure some of these people in Ephesus didn't know that what happened was the word had spread throughout Asia. We might never know the impact, but we're to be remain faithful anyways. And it always comes back to the same thing. How can we be faithful? How can we strengthen community? It always goes back to discipleship. It always goes back to knowing more about who God is, about his word, about our own lives, about how we can continually be just growing more and more into the image of Christ, how we can be the community of faith. And that's why the action point isn't any different from several other weeks. Be a disciple who disciples others. That's what Pastor John preached on last week. Be a disciple who disciples others. Yes, we should be faithful in what we know, but we should also be faithful to keep learning more. And so what about Wildlife Baptist Church? What about Honolulu? Are we seeking, each of us and all of us, to know, live, and share the full gospel? Is our church evidence of what happens when God's love that comes through faith in Jesus Christ gets a hold of a people? Do we really believe, as what happened here, one of the reasons Paul came back, do we really believe that everyone in this city needs to hear the gospel, needs to see it lived faithfully? Do we really believe that God has people in the city like the 12 ready to receive? And do we really believe that God has given us the sacred task of reaching them? If we really believe it, it will be reflected in all that we do.